0: An anthology about the bad, the short-lived, and the forgotten shows and events in television history. This is It Was a Thing on TV. Punisher! Control! Hey, before I change
1: my mind! I give you... Super Train! Oh, <laughs> Episode
0: 410 Submission number... One, seven, four, five. That Awful Quiz Show. Also known as that quiz show with asterisks in place of my throat clearing to imply some sort of vulgarity. That Awful Quiz Show aired in syndication from September of 1982 to December of 1982. Did Sir Francis Bacon have a heart attack while trying to unlock a chastity belt? Did Clark Gable have bad breath? Did Raquel Welch have silicon shots?
2: Find out the answers to these and other important questions right now on that awful quiz show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, and those of you who are still undecided from Hollywood
1: the time where Carol Burnett won an almost million-dollar judgment against the National Enquirer. Here
0: are your hosts, John and Greg Rice. Thank you. Thank you very much. And welcome to the show. In the history of television... We've had a number of, let's say, interesting personalities host game shows. I mean, we have our traditional ones where we have traditional hosts like Bill Cullen and Alex Trebek and Dick Clark and so on and so forth. But then we have some oddball hosts. You get people like Dick Van Dyke hosting a game show back in the 50s. And you get, even nowadays... You had Guy Fieri hosting Minute to Win It. You had Apollo Ono hosting Minute to Win It.
2: Wait, Apollo Ono hosted Minute to Win It once? The GSN version, yeah. Oh, my God. Was he that desperate for money?
0: Apparently. And if you want to view that, that's actually on Game Show Central, uh, wherever you uh, have a streaming outlet. It's on Pluto TV and like everywhere else that does streaming but the point i'm getting at is there have been some real unique personalities i mean there's nothing wrong with comics hosting game shows i mean we have a very successful one in drew carey right now but the people we're going to talk about today they're not game show hosts they're known for their height no joke about that we've talked about them in the past We're talking about John and Greg Rice. We talked about them in the 90s infomercials episode because they had a real estate infomercial in the 90s where, you know, follow our lead and you'll make lots of money and stuff like that. And I I think in that episode, I mistakenly compared them to Tom Vu because I thought these short people had a bunch of like buxom women around them all the time no, I think they took a more classy route than Tom Vu with his yacht with these uh, women in bikinis on them. But Tom Wu is still a legend. Tom Wu or Tom Vu? Tom Vu. See, Tom Wu, I think, was the In Living Color parody. Yes. So I've said the wrong name the entire time. It's Tom Vu. But the Tom Wu parody of In Living Color... I think we played that at the end of that episode. It's excellent. So Tom Wu, Tom Vu, same difference. It perfectly
2: captures the essence of Tom Vu.
0: It did, yes. Just
2: like how Jim Carrey in that one closing we did captured the essence of Telly Savalas hawking the Players Club.
0: So I mentioned the shortness of the Rice Brothers. At one time before John's death in 2005, they were the shortest living twins, each standing two foot, 10 inches tall. And apparently somebody said, we need to give them a game show. We need to give them a hosting gig. From what I could see, the only real television they did before this was they were featured on Real People. But there's a connection there between real people and this TV show. Because who created this TV show? Real People host John Barber.
2: Oh, John Barber. You know what, Mike? I thought you were going to say Byron Allen.
0: Good point. When you hear a TV show created by a former real people personality, Absolutely. The first person you go to is Byron Allen, but this is not the case. We're going to John Barber and John Barber, in case you don't know, was originally the host of the Gong Show. And we talked about him on Real People and we're going to talk about him again in December because he was. I'm going to call it a permanent cast member, but it's not really permanent when your show runs for like six months or less but he was a fixture on the new Liars Club. And that's going to be a great episode.
2: And apparently you just told me his son was a fan of a future entry that we're going to cover next year.
0: As I mentioned a couple weeks ago, I watch the new Liars Club almost every day, especially during weekdays because they show generally like an episode, episode and a half, two episodes while I'm getting ready for work. So one week of episodes that has rerun on this Game TV Go channel with quite a bit of frequency. One of the celebrities is Jim Burns from Wise Guy, and the female celebrity that week is Alison Laplaca from Future Entry Duet. But the third celebrity, whose name is not John Barber, is a guy by the name of Don Yeso. And as I told Greg previously, John Barber has said that his son claimed that Don Yeso's character on Frank's Place was his favorite character and that Frank's Place was his favorite show. So Don Yeso is his son's favorite TV character from his favorite TV show. How amazing is that? And also I didn't
2: know that John Barber's son was apparently doing the booking on the New Liars Club.
0: <laughs> well, again, John Barber was on the New Liars Club because CanCon rules. Again, we'll get to that when we talk about the New Liars Club in December. We want to talk about that awful quiz show. show. So, as I said, uh, Greg and John Rice. From what I can see, they were primarily known just for their appearance on Real People. And apparently they made such an impression on John Barber that when he created the show, hey, let's have these short folks, these twins, host the show. Because it's going to be hilarious because short people are funny. Ha 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 ha, ha. I'm not saying that, but I'm going to guess that was probably the conversation that was held at some time in the uh, development process. So the game itself, it's very reminiscent of another game that ran for a long time, that ran about two years before this aired, but also a game that is still airing nowadays. Specifically, it's reminiscent of You Bet Your Life. The reason it's reminiscent of You Bet Your Life is there are two contestants who have never met each other and they are now teaming up in this quiz. And also like You Bet Your Life, whoever wins the most money in the end comes and plays a bonus question, a final round. Again, just like Croucho Marx's version where you had that little bonus wheel. And if you picked the number it landed on, you played for big money back in the later part of the fifties, when big money game shows were a big thing. And also the buddy Hackett version and also the Mr. Black version. And I don't think they do it nowadays with the other Mr. Black version. Isn't that funny? Two Mr. Blacks have hosted. You bet your life.
2: Amazing.
0: The less said about both of them, the better. Good. But again, uh, the best team comes back for a bonus question. So there's a usual chit-chat between the hosts and the two people to get to know them a little bit better. There isn't the necessarily comic chops that you see between any of the Mr. Blacks or Buddy Hackett or Groucho. I mean, those are comics... Talented or otherwise, and these are two brothers who had a segment about them on Real People. So they don't necessarily have those chops. So as I mentioned, you go through the interview, but then for the game itself, the players are spotted five hundred dollars, and they're given a category, uh, and there's uh, multiple choice trivia questions in that category. And they can bet between fifty dollars and two hundred dollars on their ability to answer the questions in that category there were four questions being asked and whichever team had accumulated the most money by the end of the day came back and played another bonus question that was submitted by home viewer for thousand dollars and a bonus prize pretty simple pretty straightforward but also at the same time, pretty derivative derivative. So as I said, this did not run all that long, but there's a couple things that I took away from the episodes that were online. They're not online now from what I can tell, but they were online and really the big contestant, the big name on one of the episodes, it's a big name. Now it's a big name. Now, if you, know a certain genre. And I'm sure Greg knows who this is. And Chico, if he were here, would know who this is. And I certainly know who this is. And this is tied back to real people because this person was featured on real people. The person I'm talking about is game show producer extraordinaire, Bob Bowden. Oh! He was in an episode of that awful quiz show. And he had a uh, piece about him on real people. I want to say about nineteen eighty one. So there's a nice little connection there. and actually, sorry for the spoiler if you haven't seen it, Bob and his partner made it to the uh, final question for the day, but did not win. So they split like I want to say eleven hundred dollars, you yeah know, five fifty a piece and yeah five fifty back in nineteen eighty two. That's probably a month or two rent. Not bad money. But the big takeaway I want to share about this show. The set itself. It was lined with caricatures, drawings done by maybe one of the most popular members of Mad's usual gang of idiots. Talking about the legendary... Sergio Aragonis. If you're a fan of Mad Magazine, you know his work. And really, if you think of Mad Magazine, there's probably four names that come to mind. Four names in terms of the talent, not talking about Alfred E. Newman. One is definitely Dick DeBartolo, And we could talk about him all day long because he's another person with huge ties to the game show world but also Mad Magazine. Second would be Bill Gaines, the original publisher. Third would be Sergio Aragonis. And fourth, Don Martin. Don Martin did some of the best artwork in Mad Magazine. Same with Sergio Aragonis. The old school Mad. I'm sorry, you cannot beat old school Mad from back in the 70s and 80s.
2: But also, let's not forget Alfred E. Newman.
0: You can't forget Alfred E. Newman. He is the poster child. You see, after talking about Mad Magazine all this time, I want to go get my copy of the Mad Magazine board game out of the basement. Have you ever played the Mad Magazine board game? My junior high actually had the
2: board game. (laughs) And it was the best board game ever because the winner. I don't know if anybody in our audience listening to this podcast has ever played the Mad Magazine board game. But to win the game, you have to lose all your money.
0: Yeah, the object of the game was to lose all your money, but the best part, and it's been so long since I played this game, but there's actually a bill in the game. There's some way, I don't know if it's sort of like you, you land on a certain space or draw a certain card, but there is some action where if you land on the space or pull the card, you get a bill for $1,329,063.00 and you are officially screwed. And I think there's only one of those in the game. So it isn't one of those things where multiple people could hit it though. That would be great. If everybody hit the $1,329,063 bill, the game would never end. That would be epic. That would be insanity too, but that would be great. Oh my gosh, I can't believe we just spent so much time talking about Mad Magazine. And also speaking of Mad Magazine, or at least Mad, the the whole franchise, if you get the Maximum Effort channel, also on Plex, but also on Freebie, they show reruns of Mad TV at least the first season from what I've seen thus far. And they have not done any sort of censoring. The reason I say that is because in the first season, there was a segment that uh, definitely wouldn't fly nowadays. And they kept them in the episode. That's my white mama. Hey, alert me when we have the episode
2: where... Will Sasso got the crap beating out of him by Bret Hart on Mad TV.
0: Well, that would have been at least season two, because Will Sasso, I think, joined in season two, if not season three. It was probably
2: around the time of, like, 98, so probably, like, season four, season five. Where were they at in 98?
0: In fall of 1998, they would have been in season four, because it started in fall of 1995. The thing is, from what I've seen, Maximum Effort is just showing the first season and maybe a smattering of the second season. I haven't seen much beyond that, but that could be due to rights. That could be due to who knows what. But yeah, Maximum Effort, that's one of my new favorite channels. You get your Mad TV, you get your Alf, you get your Sports Night. It's all good.
2: Okay, hold on. Time out. Now, I showed you the one entry that I put on the schedule, but I also just now, while talking about Mad TV, put this
0: on the list. I see it. I see it.
2: The first episode of Millionaire US and <laughs> the time Brett
0: wrestled Will
2: Sasa on Monday night. <laughs> and, and I almost was tempted to put in there the description too. And Deborah Wilson turned heel on Will Sasa.
1: Deborah Wilson turned heel on Will Sasso in the match. What? Yes. She did a
0: heel turn. Oh, this is all staying in, by the way. I, huh? I, I'm surprised hearing that Deborah Wilson turned heel, especially on Will Sasso. Now I want to see that.
2: Well, If this was 2023, nobody would want to turn heel on Will Sasso because everyone loves his Jesse Ventura impression.
0: Between Will Sasso doing Jesse Ventura and like everything Frank Caliendo, I'm sorry, I'm a a mark for Frank Caliendo. I love just about everything he does. And we talked about this on the last episode about Frank Caliendo doing his John Madden impersonation, which, yeah, it's funny, but also it's like, you gotta mm. have a little bit more in the arsenal besides the boom and the tough act and tenactin lines.
2: But I will give Frank Caliendo credit; he has more than one impression, which is more than I could say about that fraud Yuri Geller and his one stupid ass spoon trick. That is not impressive at all.
0: Ben, 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 no. don't
2: again. You're a yeller. You have one trick. Nobody cares. It's a f-ing stupid trick.
0: He's a fraud. You're a phony! Hey, this guy's a great big phony! But also we should add, talk about Frank Caliendo, Frank TV, oh yeah, we're going to cover it sometime.
2: We're also going to talk about the 90 million promos that you're doing tbs's mlb postseason coverage in 2007
0: i think that's going to be most of the episode because that's exactly what happened in the 2007 playoffs they just shoved frank tv ads down our throats and we got two seasons of frank tv
2: oh thank god that ended right before conan's tbs show premiered Remember the Conan blimp during the 2009 postseason or oh, yes. 2010 or whatever? That was 2010. Yeah, I'm sorry. Why do you think it was 2009? Yeah, the Conan blimp. That was great. My brother was at a Yankees postseason game in 2010. He took a picture of that, but he also took a picture of Craig Sager's outfit at the game.
0: Oh, he had to have a good outfit.
2: Oh, trust me. It was about as ridiculous as you could imagine
0: but that's Craig Sager for you.
2: RIP, Craig. We miss you.
0: Absolutely. And also, I think I need to get it off my chest since we talked about Frank TV. I like Frank TV.
1: Well, that's your wings, I guess.
0: (laughs) Every time we talk about Frank Caliendo now, did you know he was on Frank TV? Did I tell you that I love Frank TV as we found out on episode 410 Mike's favorite show is Frank TV no it's not my favorite I just said I liked it but
1: yeah
2: because remember back in episode 300 I said for the first time ever I love wings so as you all know that was the first time I ever said it and now it's 110 episodes and I can't believe I went that long without saying I love wings
0: It took a lot of restraint, my friend. Do you notice we've
2: been talking a lot about other tangents and not this stupid-ass show?
0: Because, again, there's not many other things we could talk about with this show because the game was very derivative of You Bet Your Life. The hosts weren't hosts, per se. They were personalities who are real people. The producer, the creator of the show, was John Barber, who was part of the show that discovered the Rice Twins. And it's just generally a blah TV show. But again, the big takeaway, at least in my opinion, the Sergio Aragona's illustrations, drawings, scattered throughout the set. That's beautiful. He's one of my favorite Mad Magazine artists of all time. So seeing this work from him is just like, warms the cockles of my heart. But yeah, this show did not get... A lot of clearance and obviously for a show that ran three months at most, not many people saw this show in those markets that showed it. I'm sure it probably aired in a late night time slot. This is definitely not fair. You would see at seven to eight o'clock at night, especially you know given like the next year you'd have Wheel of Fortune. Two years later, you'd have Jeopardy. This is not Jeopardy Wheel of Fortune quality. This is like dead of nights or late night stuff. And it just wasn't entertaining. And uh, for that reason, that awful quiz show. It's just a thing on TV. Well, you
2: know, Mike, we have had enough tangents. I don't know how many more tangents we're going to have.
1: Oh, hey, guys, I got something for you. Hey, Johnny. Hey, Mike. Hey guys, I've I've been playing around with that ChatGPT you've been talking about so much. Yeah, Johnny, it's really amazing. Well, I had ChatGPT write me something. Oh really, Johnny? What is it? I had ChatGPT do a promo read for me for the Grimmest Birthday Milkshake. <laughs> Really, Johnny, the Grimmest Birthday Milkshake? That was, like, last month. I know, Greg, but I really enjoyed the Birthday Shake so much. I just had to have ChatGPT write me a promo copy. Okay, well, here it is. Johnny Olsen doing a promo read for the Grimmest Birthday Milkshake. What is a gentleman? Gather round for it's time to celebrate a very special occasion, it's Grimace's birthday! And what better way to join in the festivities than with the delicious Grimace Birthday Milkshake? Step right up folks and get ready to taste the magic of Grimace's birthday like never before! The Grimace Birthday Milkshake is a whirlwind of flavor, a celebration in a glass, with each sip you'll be transported to a world of pure delight! It's a sympathy of creamy, dreamy goodness that'll make your taste buds dance with joy. But that's not all, my friends. When you indulge in the Grimace birthday milkshake, you're not just enjoying a treat. You're joining Grimace and his pals for a party like no other. Imagine the fun, the laughter, the smiles all in one sip. So whether you're young or young at heart, come on down to your nearest McDonald's and join in the celebration. Griffiths' birthday only comes once a year, and you won't want to miss on on this flavor-filled fiesta. Get ready to savor the sweetness, feel the joy, and raise a toast to Grimace himself with the one and only Griffiths' birthday milkshake. It's happiness in a shake, and it's waiting for you right here at McDonald's. Don't wait, folks. Head on over and make Griffiths' birthday one for the books. Remember, you can't put a price on the happiness that comes with every sip of the Grimace Birthday Milkshake.
0: Cheers! Oh my I'm in physical pain. I've been trying to hold back my laughter for the last two minutes, and my cheeks are hurting so much. Oh my gosh. Why are you laughing? That's some serious
1: I really enjoyed the Grimace Birthday Milkshake.
0: I didn't say it wasn't serious stuff. Just the entire thing was was amazing. I mean, it's a timely reference. I got to give you credit there. I mean, it's been, what, a month and a half, two months since uh, Grimace's birthday milkshake came out. I just didn't expect you to do a promo for it. Well, you damn well bet. It was some great sh- it definitely livened up this episode.
2: Well, thank you very much, Johnny, for that.
0: Oh, my gosh. I cannot top that. So I'm just going to tell everybody that's it for this episode. But please remember, you can go to our website at itwasthethingontv.com, where you can listen to the 409 episodes that preceded this one. We've got all sorts of great stuff, including mini minisodes, live shows, extended versions of previous episodes. We have a lot of stuff there. That'll keep you occupied for a long time. Also, remember, we are on social media, including Instagram, Threads, Mastodon, and elsewhere at It Was the Thing on TV, except for Facebook, where we are at It Was the Thing on TV podcast. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast where refined podcasts can be streamed through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, Audible, Spotify. We're everywhere, it seems. And please don't forget, we're on YouTube as well, where you can like and subscribe to our channel. And don't forget to hit the notification bell on YouTube to be informed about all future uploads on the channel, including what's coming up on the podcast next week. The first episode is going to be a landmark episode. I mean, it's number 411, but it's not the number that's the landmark. We're revisiting yet another show. And we promoted this. Last month, when we did Jennifer Slept Here Revisited. And as I believe Greg mentioned in that episode, of our first four shows, we've revisited three of them. We obviously did "Match Game Hollywood Squares Revisited for episode 100. We did Manimal and Auto Man, even though Auto Man wasn't 1983, that was 1984, but that was part of the episode. And we covered that in episodes 299 and 300. And then, again, just in the last month or so, we covered Jennifer Slept Here. Well, we're going for the four-pack here. We're going back to the episode that we haven't covered yet from those first four. And, oh my gosh, it's going to be amazing because in the last six months to a year, some intrepid user has uploaded... I want to say seven or eight episodes of this show. I don't even know if I should like hide it because you guys can do the research and see which episode we're talking about. We're talking about Mr. Smith. We are revisiting Mr. Smith in time for its 40th anniversary. And we have a lot more information than we had previously. I've personally seen like three or four of those episodes online. I've got stuff to say. I know Greg has stuff to say. Chico, if he's here, he's got stuff to say. But 411, Mr. Smith Revisited, four years in the making. It's going to be epic. But also, the second episode next week, we talk about another series that lasted one season. And actually, it lasted the same number of episodes as Mr. Smith. And the main character, he took over for a beloved character on the show that preceded it. It lasted one season with this person at the helm, but the very next season, he got his own show. And as I alluded to, it lasted as long as Mr. Smith. So obviously wasn't as good as uh, it could have been. Maybe a case of Lost in Translation, kind of, sort of. Not necessarily it was based on a show from overseas, But maybe the person who is from overseas, maybe his comedy got lost in translation because he's still a big name in comedy overseas 30 plus years later. So we'll talk about Mr. Smith Revisited. We're going to talk about Bobo next week, Greg.
2: I'm so happy we're finally going to talk about Bobo again.
0: We're going to give Bobo justice. But also we're going to talk about that other short-lived show right here. At It Was a Thing on TV. Thank you very much, as always, for listening. And we will catch you on Monday with Mr. Smith Revisited. Row!
1: My son's favorite
0: character from
1: my son's favorite show he plays, Shotty LaRue, and Frank's Place, Don Yeso.
0: Oh, and we should note that Don Yeso's character on Frank's Place was not Shotty LaRue, it was Shorty LaRue. How much does your son really like that TV show, there, John Barber? Hmm. Mm-hmm.